E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Stefano Almondo of Giovanni Almondo in the Rowero of Piemonte on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very fine. Thanks. So your dad, Domenico, founded a winery in Nororero in the 80s. Right. Uh, he started, the, the Azienda was founded in uh, 1978. But the, uh, the viticulture, anyway, has always been present uh, in our area. So it's not uh, 30 years ago. Uh, I have documents, uh, History of Monta, uh, made by university, that proves that uh, some crew like, for example, Valdiana, that we do now as a Nebbiolo crew, was a, a great site in the 18th century. So, 300 of history for sure of viticulture, then maybe even before. It's near Barbaresco, but it's on the other side of the river and it's lower elevation in general. Right, it's opposite Barbaresco, on the other side of the river. The difference is a geologic difference. So our soil is a more recent formation than Barolo and Barbaresco geology history. What you find when you arrive, it's a very sandy soil. Sandy in certain parts uh, with more limestone, in other parts a lighter soil. Anyway, more sandy in general. Talking about distances, it's a few miles from Barbaresco, a few miles from Barolo. It will be 20 kilometers far from Barbaresco and 23, 24 from Barolo. But it's completely another kind of soil. And also the shape of the hill. The shape of the hill are very steep and little hills. We have a little formations, uh, not wide and very steep. So part of the viticulture is made by hand. So it's a pretty diverse area in terms of soil type and then exposure. Yes, absolutely. Let's say in general, Monta can be divided in two parts. The northern part, what uh, in Middle Age language called the Fini Superiori, is uh, more sandy soil and uh, little stones with uh, some veins of calcar. In general, this part is very acidic. The soil, the pH of the soil is 5.5. And this is unique in Roero and in southern Piedmont. While the south part of the village is sand and calcar and limestone. It's a higher pH, 7.5 or 8 more similar to Barbaresco or also Barolo, Verduno, not Saralunga. Verduno, La Morra, very similar, uh, the southern part of Monta. 
uh, with fossils uh, and stone uh, and leaves, uh, fossilized leaves. So the two parts are pretty different. North, high elevation and acidic soil. South, less acidic soil and less high altitude. Um, generally speaking, Roero is made up of the south part of Monta. So the average soil is limestone, sand and calcar. 30% calcar and the rest sand and limestone. Uh, while the north part is an exception. Really different part. It's 400 meters high, while the rest is 280, 250 average. So where you're based is a little bit of an exception. Yeah, our village is uh, an exception. For sure. There is a little part so high also in Santo Stefano Roero, where the viticulture is also diffused. But there the soil is also mixed with red soil typical of the highland that stretches from Alps through Torino until the border of Roero. So you have to imagine an highland 200 meters high on which there is a layer of hills in the north part of Roero from uh, Santo Stefano to Monta. This is the acidic part. And then there is a south part, uh, which is shared with Canale, with Vezza d'Alba and other villages. The more you get to Alba and the river Tanaro, the more you have a soil which is similar to Barbaresco. More clay, more calcar. You end in Priocca and in Magliano Alfieri and in Govone, which are part of Roero geographically uh, and also geologically but there there is for a geological point of view there is more influence uh, of Lange so I would say that the real identity of Roero is more Vezza, Monta, Canale and Santo Stefano Roero for me this for reflects the terroir of Roero so your dad had worked in the Lange yes uh, he was at the same time a chemistry teacher at the enological school of uh, Alba in the 80s and at the same time he was uh, working as an uh, agronom for um, two big uh, big names brand of uh, Barolo area he do consultant for some years then becoming uh, very hard to do also he was a major of, of our village so at the same time he had two little babies uh, chemistry teacher uh, so it's your fault, is what you're saying. Because he had to deal with you. So he was like, oh, I yeah. can't do this anymore. So. Right. right. <laughs> and so 94, for example, it, it, it was very hard to follow everything. 94, 98, those years were really hard for him. He had uh, 10 hectares total and he was doing everything from tractor to... Uh, but he stopped the consulting before the 90s. We did consultant five, six years. Marchesi Barolo and Ceretto the brands. Uh, then he decided to concentrate on uh, his family vineyards. Uh, at that time, in the 80s, there was almost uh, only uh, Nebbiolo and Barbera and uh, two little vineyards of Arnaise and he decided to um, concentrate on Arnaise. With new techniques, uh, he wanted to make a fresh, a sapid wine, not a oaky or oxidated yellow, uh, heavy Arnaise. So why do you think he decided to really specialize in Arnaise? I mean, what was the draw? He got great results from a little parcel uh, near the house where uh, he was born. A little group of houses called Vittori, which is north of Monta. 
and there is a six-year-old vineyard, uh, steep, all cultivated by hand, east exposed, and he started with that vineyard. Uh, he understood that there was a sapidity and a, what now is called minerality, which has to be uh, focused and uh, exploited, let's say. So he did a little part in barrique and the rest of the mass in stainless steel. He did the blend and he became one of the most popular Arnais producers in the 80s, together with uh, the first pioneers who rediscovered that grape, which uh, is worth a story because it's present from uh, 600 years. The first uh, register uh, reported uh, in the 15th century in a little hill called Renexium uh, in Latin, Renesio in vulgar Italian, and then uh, now it's, such a, it's still present, Renesio Hill, which is three kilometers far from uh, where my dad was born. So it was the indigenous white variety of Southern Piedmont. In the 80s, there was an, again an interest because it was always cultivated during the century, throughout the centuries, as a, a sweet wine and as a sparkling wine, also uh, as a dry wine, but less, always melted with Nebbiolo uh, during the centuries, because Nebbiolo was very hard, uh, very hard tannins from very difficult vintages with cool temperatures. Nebbiolo tends to be very hard and they melted just like in Cotroti melt. Uh, so they would do a, like a little coat from it with the white Arnais with the red Nebbiolo to get the tannins lower. Right, exactly. In the 19th century, for sure, my grandfather has a souvenir of, uh, of this practice. Uh, also my dad has in the 60s. Then in this late 70s and early 80s, it was conceived as a dry white wine, alone, without blending, without anything else. So the DOC, the DOC was born in uh, 85 and certified a movement that was already present from 10 years at least. The idea of a dry Arnais white wine is somewhat of a modern idea by itself. Yes, absolutely. It's not true to say that he has an inspiration from French culture because he didn't know so well. Uh, there was, of course, the fame, but there was not direct knowledge. But he got good results, uh, especially because the gastronomy of Piedmont was very well paired with Arnais. So we didn't have the tradition of Sauvignon or Chardonnay, Arnais was in our culture and for example I remember my grandma cooking uh, asparagus and pairing it with Arnais and it was I was just born uh, I was born 86 so 92 93 I have this uh, souvenir uh, so now a, a pairing that I suggest a great pairing is asparagus mayonnaise and Arnais this is uh, an example of uh, why the inspiration to make a dry wine was, was possible to pair with food. The first impulse was uh, to show that uh, also that Monta with uh, this strange uh, acidic sand was a good terroir for uh, white. And this sounded uh, strange at that time. Uh, now it's, uh, it's accepted as a common uh, idea to think about uh, Roero as an Arnais home. Uh, six million bottles of Arnais are made every year. At that time, maybe 20,000 or 30,000. So did your dad decide from the beginning to do a more reductive style of Arnais, or was that a learning experience? I think that he tried the first one or two years, then he moved to this uh, 
reductive style because uh, he always tells me that when he had no possibility to install a cooling system, uh, chilled the two little stainless steel vats that he had with cool water to preserve freshness of the perfume and to avoid oxidation because if you uh, allow the temperature to go on there will be enzymes that start the process of uh, oxidation and of course of fermentation but not controlled so in the 80s it was a, a new idea reductive style was the necessity to preserve the freshness that usually arnais lacks of so in a way arnais can be a little bit flat and a little bit oxidative as a grape variety Yes, absolutely, because it's not a high acid uh, grape uh, like Riesling or Chardonnay. Like many indigenous varieties in Italy, it's uh, semi-aromatic. It's not an aromatic and has not great acidity. So the point is, the key is to uh, preserve freshness and preserve a low pH that we already have in our grape. Because uh, acidic sands transfer to the fruit we have a pH of 3.0, while average Arnaise in Roero is 3.4, or in Lange 3.6, 3.5. So we just have to preserve the freshness. That's why, for example, now we have a room for cooling the fruit before pressing. So we cool the, the grape at 12 Celsius before pressing, and then there is all a chain of inertial gas, CO2 and uh, nitrogen, to preserve the mass of the juice before from oxidation and then the wine. And this is the perfume and the preservation of the acidity and we add less sulfite than the organic limit. So we add 90. We have wines with 90 or 80 milligrams per liter of sulfites instead of 100, which is the limit of organic. And this is due to the low pH of the grape and of the wine. Did your dad realize that Manta was a special place for Arnais before he made Arnais there, or was that a realization that came after he started doing it? With practice, he came uh, to this knowledge uh, that uh, the north part and the east exposed and top of the hill parcels were great for this style of wine. So people looking for crispness uh, should not address to Azienda that make full south or low parcel. You need 400 meters up to sea level and east exposure to get the best aromas also, because it's also a question of aromas and not only of acidity, to get the best from Arnaise. So you realized after a little bit. And today your dad makes multiple bottlings of Arnaise. Did he always make multiple bottlings or was that an evolution as well? Uh, well, at that time you made only 5,000 bottles or 10,000 bottles. Now we're making 100,000. The spirit is the same. We do multiple battlings, so we do in total 12 battlings for 100,000 battles, which is also a strange thing under a practical and economical point of view. We try to keep the more as possible the mass on fine leaves, uh, batonnage every week, so best battlings are late battlings from March to May. Uh, but there is always a concept of cleanness. You cannot keep Arnais on fine leaves uh, until August, uh, there will be problem of dirtiness of uh, strange perfumes. So uh, I would say our style is very clear, very clean. So of those bottlings, how many are Arnais? How many different Arnais do you make today? We are making two uh, cuvées. 
the basis one, let's say, the regular one is vigne sparse, that in Italian means uh, mixed vineyards, which is a blend of uh, five, six vineyards uh, in the north and uh, also one or two parcels in the south of Montà, while the cuvée named Bricco delle Ciliegie is uh, the selection of a, the top uh, fruit of the north part of Montà, which has always been like this. But the story why we do two Arnaise is also particular because uh, when we worked with Peck in Milan, our agent uh, told us that we should do two Arnaise, not only one, because people wanted something special and uh, with a higher price. And he told my dad, uh, doctor, because he called him dottore, dottore, you should uh, invent another Arnaise and put another label and uh, increase the price. And so he had the idea to make, let's say, a top cuvée and a regular cuvée. And this was 92. 93 was the first vintage of Bricco delle Ciliegie. Bricco delle Ciliegie is a name of fantasy for a crew, uh, which is Vittori. Uh, so now we're making two cuvées uh, still. Is there a difference in the winemaking? Uh, we add uh, some new barrique to the mass for Bricco delle Ciliegie. It is a fermentation in new oak. So there is a 3-4% of, uh, of this uh, in the final cuvée. Uh, this is the only difference uh, among the two. You do a little lees stirring, trying to get uh, some more lees contact into the wine. And you do that probably to avoid oxidation and also to give a little more complexity. Right. It's good for freshness. It's good for uh, reduction. Uh, so it helps to preserve the potential of perfume that Arnaise has and it's also a help for stability, for natural stability of the wine. Uh, there are proteins in the yeasts, in the dead yeasts, that helps uh, the final wine to be more stable in bottle. Do you put the wine through mallow or no? No, there is no mallow in our wines, otherwise the acidity would go bad, would not be acceptable for uh, freshness. So we avoid mallow with temperature. We keep our mass, uh, our two cuvées at four Celsius. And was there a, a history of sparkling wine from Arnais and sweet wine from Arnais in the region? So uh, there was not such an importance to which variety, which uh, the purity of a varietal, etc. The concept was to make a, a good white and a good red uh, some of the wine was sold to Savoia family, to royal family. Some wine was for the village. And uh, there was not such an importance on the purity. And so uh, there was a plantation of Favorita. There was plantation uh, also of Herbaluce, of Moscato, and of course Arnaise. Uh, our most ancient vineyard, uh, which is near Bricco delle Ciliegie, was a mixed cultivation of Herbaluce, Moscato, Uva da tavola, which is a grape for eating, and Arnaise. And it was on American rootstock called Rupestris Dulot. And it's a great example of viticulture on sand because it's pure sand. And uh, it testifies an era where people just wanted to have a good, a good it's a south parcel, want to have a good sugar, good alcohol, and no matter if it was not 100% Arnaise. It was, yeah, it was also sweet and it was also sparkling. Sparkling maybe for mistake, <laughs> it's a refermentation, uh, not wanted, but allowed. 
uh, sweet uh, because uh, royal family have a uh, very hedonistic taste. So I thought that the sweet one was for export to Torino. So what's Arnaise like to grow? What's it like in the vineyard? Under a phenological point of view, it is uh, very similar to Nebbiolo. That's why someone calls it Nebbiolo Bianco. For the shape of the plant, let's say. So it is not particularly sensitive to the disease. And this is a good point, of course. Uh, let's say that we cultivate it, especially in the north part, which is very windy and very dry. So we don't have problems of um, disease uh, like uh, Peronospora, especially in the north with Arnaise, we just use copper and uh, sulfur. It's a good grape to work uh, in this way. Um, let's say it has an average skin, not too uh, thin and not too thick. Anyway, resistant to the disease again, to the mushrooms. So there is no particular difficulty in cultivating Arnaise. And also Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo is also not particularly sensitive. I would say the more difficult thing in Roero could be the dry soil. Because uh, let's say that we have less rain average than Lange. It's a drier area. Because usually clouds uh, pass through on Roero and then arrives to Lange. We're closer to Torino and the mountains of Torino. Uh, so the clouds, uh, maybe always there is rain on Torino and then pass by and then <laughs> rain again on Lange. That's why we have less rain average. Together with the sandy soil, you, have, you can imagine uh, the problem is uh, dry, uh, lack of water. We don't irrigate, of course. Uh, the other problem is Flavesans Doré. This is a great problem, maybe the major problem in Roero, because we have forests. Forests are full of old vineyards, old vines, uh, that spread this little butterfly that uh, spreads the, the disease. The Flavesans Doré is a great problem, also because... Uh, uh, Arnaise is very subjected to it, together with the Barbera and also Favorita. We're not making Favorita, but uh, we had, have an old vineyard of Barbera, which is uh, producing half of the uh, normal harvest, even if we continue replacing the plants. Uh, but uh, all, you have to imagine that uh, only the top of the hill are cultivated. Uh, because uh, the rest is very, very steep. So, especially in the north of Monta, the typical cultivation is viticulture on the top and hazelnut chestnuts or forest in the rest of the hill. And this helps uh, growing Flavesans Doré. Is that a new thing or has that been around for a while? It's uh, 10, year, 10, 15 years that it's around. It's more uh, Favorita and Arnaise and Barbera. So, Monferrato or... Uh, Asti uh, area are very strongly heated, while uh, also Roero for the forests. And uh, there are many vineyards which are abandoned, and this is another problem. Uh, especially in the 60s and 70s, people abandoned the cultivations for uh, a more stable uh, occupation in fiat uh, industry in Torino. And many of that uh, vineyards abandoned are uh, now infecting. Uh, with Flavesans Doré. Uh, this is also economic, sociological uh, problem. So it's basically that the vineyards are abandoned and no one's spraying them? Is that why they're hotbeds of Flavesans Dorado? The, yeah, the problem is in summer. 
the growing of the little insects is uh, June, July. The adults, butterflies, start to fly and uh, eat from one plant to another. So the commune should oblige people to keep their parcel clean. Uh, in Middle Age and the 18th, 19th century, it was a question of honor to keep the forest clean. Now you see a lot of uh, weird plants uh, and uh, uncontrolled the growing of the forest. The communes of Roero should oblige people, which often are old people or work in the city or have nothing to do with agriculture, but to keep the parcel clean. It means the forest clean, not a, a plantation of vines, but also the forest. So in terms of the ripening curve of Arnis, is it an early ripener or a late ripener? Quite early, uh, while Nebbiolo is 40, 50 days later let's say 40, 30, 40 days later. Of course, the point is to preserve freshness as always. So then it depends on where it is planted. For example, in the north part, we always uh, harvest uh, early. Uh, altitude, uh, exposition, uh, and all these kind of things affect a lot. So 400 meters high, on the contrary, you would think that it's late maturity. No, on the contrary, it's early. So we start always from Bricco delle Ciliegie parcel to harvest. Do you find that Arnais, when you grow it, does it act differently on different kinds of soil type? Absolutely, yes. It's very influenced by acidity of the soil and the presence of calcar. You miss the crispness, you miss the saline uh, side that this grape can have if you plant it in a low place, and uh, south, you need east, you need the top of the hill. So you need where you don't plant Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo can be planted top of the hill, or yes, you can plant east, but for a base version, regular version, Nebbiolo needs south. So as Nebbiolo needs south, Arnais needs east and top. Otherwise, you lose immediately the freshness. Arnais gives its best in Roero and not in Lange for this reason. Lower pH, higher altitude for what concerns Monta. East and top of the hill are free, so can be cultivated with Arnais. In uh, Langhera they do Nebbiolo, seriously, professionally. They don't do white. Uh, I would I would definitely say this, even if not polemically, but uh, for me there is not a good white uh, in Langhera in the sense that they have uh, a different kind of, uh, of soil and also of knowledge inspiration uh, and culture to make a white last things to say it's great to be uh, let's say a young generation in an area which is not so under the the lights as Barolo so we don't have the responsibility to make uh, 100 euro wine we can also now we can experiment we can try new things also we have a little space to grow so when you grow Arnais on different soil types, can you see it in the vineyard? Like, does the Arnais look different or does it taste different as a grape? The cultivation made in the southern part of Monta is uh, maybe more watery. While in the north, there is uh, more concentration and more aromatics. While in the south, uh, the soil is also used in the valley for gardens. This tells you how fertile the soil is. It's like a garden, really. So vegetables are growing. 
Um, but uh, the north of Monta is the real secret uh, also of the best vegetable products. So uh, asparagus, strawberries and peaches has more taste, are more savory in the north. Uh, south is great for Nebbiolo, but not for asparagus, for example. So uh, you have also to look at these little things uh, to know where the best things are. Uh, it's not a case that uh, south part is all cultivated with Nebbiolo and north uh, with Arnais. But I feel like it's difficult for the consumer to know the subzone because it's not indicated on the label, really. I mean, you'd really have to do research on your own because there's, it just says Roero. It's absolutely true. We're working on it in Montadera. will be at least seven or eight crews. So it will be on the label in a few years, I hope. Now, the only way to, to select a style that you want to drink is to know the brand, to know the producer. So are there multiple clones of Arnais? Are there... uh, yes. Uh, by the law, there is only one clone made in Neive in the 70s. We're very active on that side. My brother is a researcher at the University of Torino. And we have an experimental vineyard planted two years ago uh, where we had a massal selection. Um, we, me and my brother, went uh, to look for the old clones, 80-year-old, 90-year-old, 60-year-old. Uh, we selected the best plants uh, without virus, uh, uh, not so productive, average productive, average dimension size of the grape. Uh, so all the quality that are fitting best. So we will have uh, in our dream a new clone arriving uh, that fits perfectly to our kind of soil, not to Neve soil or to Lange soil, because of course uh, in the past uh, there was less specificity on site and less focus on site. Uh, we will do separate uh, vinifications on this. The aim is to have best clone as possible for our sand, uh, not in terms of uh, quantity but of uh, crispness as I told you uh, acidity so we need a grape that keeps acidity we need uh, more aromatics so less watery less big uh, berries uh, not too much vegetation and this is provided by old plants we have looked for that in the old plants and then when do you start to drink your own Arnais you have two bottlings. Do you drink them both right away or do you wait and how long can you wait? The two cuvées are different. So Vigne Sparse is great for uh, the, the month after, right the month after the bottling. It has a very strong perfume, uh, very intense perfume of pear, which is the typical descriptor of Arnaise, of um, cat uh, uh, apple. Uh, also after a bit uh, green elements and almond and citrus the other cuvée Brico delle Ciliegie is best enjoyed after 3-4 months it has a complexity that stretches the, the variety of aromas to marine uh, crushed rocks white peach it's better after 3-4 uh, months from battling uh, so the first bottlings are in February. I will open a bottle in June, July. And then at Christmas time, it's perfect for me. The best time is October, November, December. But what's the longest you could age it? I mean, you know, five, six years, is it still going to be drinking? Or 
for the vigne sparse two three years uh, then lose the sense of freshness and fruitiness that is typical to it while the Brico delle Ciliegie we had the great examples from a 2010 vintage for example uh, last year we opened a, new, a bottle it was very similar to to a Chablis uh, it has some Chardonnay character coming out uh, with the years more commonly it has a Riesling influence with uh, petrol crushed rocks uh, so there is a side which is less fruity uh, but the, the freshness is in the mouth is preserved anyway for me this kind of style is uh, great in the first three four years then you can have some good surprises but our intention is to do a wine which is great for prompt consumption uh, and in the following two three years then you mm, for me you lose the sense of a crispy arnaise let's say so has your dad changed some of his views at all since the 80s have there been things that he learned that really kind of were learning moments for him that he decided to implement new techniques absolutely we have um, the great period is the 90s uh, but is in this last five years with uh, me and my brother uh, coming actively to the azienda that the more uh, the most of the changing are been done um so we have uh, it's 20 years that we have stainless steel vats controlled the, uh, under temperature point of view we control humidity but it's only in the last two years that we control the temperature of the grape before pressing for example another very important thing to focus is that we don't mix uh, we don't blend the pressing juice with what we call the flower juice so at 0.8 bars we stop the cuvée that will go to the Bricco delle Ciliegie and Vigne Sparse and the pressing juice is sold as a bulk wine. The um, pressing juice is not the total absolute evil but gives you a bitterness, gives you oxidation so you had to add much more sulfite to have the same freshness and to have a good preservation of the wine. So we prefer to cut off and we saw so our production is low 30% for this uh, choice. But it's, uh, we're not in industry, we're, we'll be always be a vigneron-like, so no problem for this. So has the market responded differently to RNAs over time? And are, are there multiple markets? Like, are there really different responses in different parts of the world? Our great, great thing is that we are close to Lange and close to great restaurants. So wine lovers arrive for Barolo and they drink Arnese as an aperitif and first course uh, wine. This is great. All the importers that we have uh, have rung uh, our bell because uh, I've tasted the wine in started Michelin restaurants and also simple osterias. Uh, so for me to be a part of Lange area is great. It's not something unfortunate uh, as many Roero people think so it's a key element for our economics. Uh, we will be always, uh, you know, not the first choice because there is Barolo as a first choice uh, for wine lovers and will always be like this, but we are the second choice of a great area. And what about those reds? I mean, you make Nebbiolo, you make Barbera, you make a little bit of Frasier. Right. And you make those in the Rowero. And what's right. that like to make reds there? 
we have a great tradition of rides. I would say that uh, for farmers and people working, uh, the nourishment was red wine. In an era where water was polluted and uh, water was reserved for cows and, uh, and animals, people drank wine. And well, the wine was red, was not white wine. White wine is more refined the concept uh, of consumption. Um, so we have a great tradition of reds. We just have to spread and continue it. Our, for example, our vineyard of Barbera is 85. Fresa, the same, 85 years old. Uh, and Nebbiolo respond very well to this uh, sand calcar soil in terms of elegancy and of uh, lightness. So in my opinion, we will have to improve that side of Nebbiolo, not to be compared to a Barolo, but more like a Beaujolais or style, or not a Beaujolais, a red burgundy. So we're continuing. I, my dream is to make a 50-50 uh, white and red. We have the potentialities. It's very difficult because there is no more land. Everything is occupied and the price is increasing because people is investing before in Lang and then come to Roero to invest. There are many, many great brands investing in Roero in the last 10 years, uh, making Nebbiolo d'Alba from, uh, for example, uh, let's say Valmaggiore is the most important vineyard, uh, but also Chetti. Uh, and then there is uh, Valdiana, there is uh, uh, Rocco d'Amsei, there is Montpissano, there is Renesio. These great vineyards, uh, in my opinion, are now, we're now starting to understand what we should be, which is lightness, which is elegancy, fruitiness. We have uh, raspberry, and uh, uh, rose petal uh, flavors that are unique. So with Barbaresco, they tend to harvest before Barolo. When does harvest start for Roero reds? Is it similar to one of those two? Or? It's, it depends on the vineyard. We have all south exposure so for Nebbiolo. So it's, it means early anticipated maturity, anticipated uh, ripening. Uh, we don't have great elevation. In Lange, they have, uh, in La Morra and Serralunga, they have uh, 450 meters uh, high, and this is, the maturity is very late. We have 280 parcels for Nebbiolo. Uh, it means early, early maturity. Uh, also to preserve the, the sapidity side of, uh, of Nebbiolo, we, we should uh, anticipate uh, the harvest, even if Warm vintages give you great fruitiness. Uh, I always feel a yellow peach impression, and this is quite unique of Roero wines. You don't find this in Northern Piedmont and, and in Barolo. Uh, so I will insist again on the fruitiness of uh, reds also. Not a ripe style, uh, definitely. So you don't use pressed wine on the whites. Do you use any pressed wine on the reds? Um, it's uh, it's a really small amount, so yes, we put in the regular bottling, uh, but it's different. The pressing juice from reds is different uh, from the white. There is less a uh, bad influence uh, on reds, and then uh, the reds has time to age. So the maybe the greener part of the tannin, uh, which is typical of the pressing juice, has time to soften with two years in wood, in uh, in big cask, and barrique. I feel like within 30, 40 years, the Roero kind of reinvented an idea of a, a white wine that wasn't really there before and became quite popular and is now not questioned. I mean, it's known to be a thing. 
Um, what's going to happen in the next 30, 40, 50 years in the world era? What's, what is going to be the evolution of that region? More and more producers are following a, a reductive style and light style, a fresh style, not following an oak or mallow style. For Arnaise. For Arnaise. This is great because for me, this is the right key to read this grape. We will have uh, subzones, we will have uh, maps, uh, and I hope we will have like something like cruise in the future. This can help for sure because Arnaise from Monta is considered uh, the best example, like Gavi di Gavi. So I, I, I dream of uh, Arnaise uh, from Monta, a, a brand uh, as, uh, as Gavi di Gavi is. I hope more producers, more growers, and less uh, people just buying grapes, buying juice, buy wine, and then battling as a Langarnese. So this, is, this would be great. This is, would be a great favor for Roero. Uh, to do less Nebbiolo d'Alba and more Roero and to do more Roero Arnaise and less Langarnaise and especially uh, let's say engage in making good white wine and not only a white to be on a list a white to cover an exigence of market because uh, as Gavi has become this is the risk uh, great industries that come and take just the flower of the of what can be taken uh, i hope more t- sensitivity to this great great site because monta and roero have great site for white so i'm putting all my emphasis in spreading this uh, terroir which is both for, for white and red is quite rare in italy uh, i hope more focus on uh, journalism point of view of the guides towards a region which is always be in shadow, uh, but is the basis of the economy of many wines of Lange. Because in the cuvee, uh, you find many, for adding fruitiness, you find many, many uh, growers that uh, sell grape to Lange producers. Uh, because they know that we don't have uh, mint and truffle notes or tobacco notes. <laughs> no, maybe not that structure, but we have raspberry, we have uh, red berries, and rose petals. So in future, I expect a lot of good things. Under a more concrete point of view, I expect a lot of investments uh, because uh, Lange has become popular. Roero is in the world, Lange Roero. So uh, I know personally many, many investments uh, uh, and more and more will be in the future. And so the price now is, uh, for example, 100,000 euros for an hectare. The price will be higher. And I hope not so much because we have to exp- we, we want to expand a little bit. Always uh, in a small dimension, but uh, the request is strong. So it's also good to respond. Uh, a product is, exists when it's seen at least in some regions, otherwise it doesn't exist. Stefano Almando of Giovanni Almando, Dreams of Arnaise. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Stefano Almando of Giovanni Almando in Noruero in Piemonte. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap, are available for sale if you check the show website, 
alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothat, P-O-D.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by Vinitaly, the world's largest wine fair, held each year in Verona, Italy.